Hello and welcome to Addicts Anonymous. I'm your host, Jim R. This is episode 11. And today we're going to be interviewing Ben M. How you doing today, Ben? Or is it Benjamin? Um, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, if you want to say Benjamin or Ben M, it, it's all the same. I've actually been called worse, so. Oh. Go <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I, I'm, I think I'm on the same boat there. So we'll just stick with Ben. So. Yeah. Let's kind of dive right into it. So, Ben is a recovering addict, and Ben, tell tell me a little bit about your childhood. Um, childhood, you know, like I would say, most addicts that I hear the stories from, it was uh, it was pretty rough. Um, both parents were active. Uh, my dad was an alcoholic, and my mom, it's it was whatever. At that time, I think whenever I was young, it was the acid. She uh she definitely liked it and alcohol, so uh everything was was actually pretty decent when my dad was around and then just you know, out of the blue my dad just took off. And uh you know, especially at that early age I don't really know why he took off, but he kinda did. And then my mom, she was on her little acid binge. So, you know, me and my sister, which she's like a year older than me, and then we had my younger brother, JJ, which he was actually a baby at the time, was pretty much stuck being the mom and dad to my younger brother. Because at the time, my mom started going out all the time. So it was like... Instead of actually enjoying our childhood, we were stuck taking care of my younger brother. And then I think at one point in time, my sister just gave up herself. So I was like, I was stuck taking care of everything all the time. Uh, and how old um, were you again at this point? Uh, I want to say <laughs> I was like seven, eight years old, maybe. <clears throat> yeah. Seven or eight, that is very young to be taking care of yourself. Yeah, because I, I remember, yeah, it was about when I was like my eighth birthday. I remember my mom took off and we didn't see her for like three or four days. And, uh, you know, I had my younger brother there. He was always crying and stuff because, you know, I, I didn't know nothing about babies or anything. So I didn't know what I was doing wrong or if I was doing it. I remember changing his diaper when he didn't have no diaper. And I took um, one of my old dad's t-shirts that he had there and I tied it up, tied it uh-huh. around him and stuff so he wouldn't poop and pee everywhere. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, I, I had no idea what was going on. And then finally, um, my Aunt Maria, which actually is not really my aunt. It was more, my, it was my godmother. You know, I, I finally got a hold of her and told her such what was going on. So she came over, you know, and took us in for until they found mom. And she was like on some kind of bench or something. I'm not really sure. So, you know, it was, uh, it, it was definitely um, one of those where I had to learn how to defend and take care of myself as a young kid. So, you know, most kids are all, 
playing and going outside and doing this and this and that, I was pretty much stuck inside, you know. And, uh... So were you doing the stuff like cooking and cleaning and all that stuff? Like oh, house- definitely. It was, like, stealed into me anyways as a young kid, even when Dad was there, like, you know, you got to pick up after yourself and this. I learned how to do the dishes laundry or whatnot at a young age anyways but then whenever she left it was kind of like it was put on full time after that so which you know I, I i would have to say that's probably what due to me actually being a good cook now it's because i learned how to cook at such a young age reading recipes and stuff because you know let's say so we didn't have google or anything where i can google and watch a youtube video yeah um, but you know, it, it definitely learned how to cook and stuff. I had that little foot tool on the stove and <laughs> cooking and stuff. <laughs> That's cool. It was it was definitely a weird experience. Um, I can I can but, only imagine. I I I was left alone a lot when I was eight. But for me, I would just eat a shitload of cookies, and I look back and say that was starting my overeating to get high because they would make me feel better. So right, I, well, I mean, even as a young age, the cookies are like the ideal thing anyways. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm a kid. I get a cookie. Ew. I would, I don't know. You know how the blue chips, ahoy, the ones in the blue package come in sleeves? Yeah. I would eat both sleeves. Oh, wow. And I was eight years old. And because the thing was, after a few minutes, I would, I guess the sugar crash would come and I'd be like, oh, I just want a little more, just a little more. Oh, it's just one, and it was, think about it, it's just like an addict, just one more. <laughs> That's all I kept saying, like something was going to change, like I was going to feel better for longer, and that never happened. And I still fight with that today. But do you have anything in your childhood that you think led to your addiction? I mean, because they're still up with the whole nature versus nurture thing. So it looks like you have both, where you were... Not nurtured, actually, but it was by drug addicts, and you might be actually have it in your genes. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of it what it had to do was that it was such a normal thing to be around. Like you know, like I said, when my dad was around, he was a very bad alcoholic. Um, my mom was an active user, and you know, she also drank like a fish too because she would go to the bars and come back and. And her friends came over and party over like after hours, um, you know. So it was it was a big part of my life growing up. So I think a lot of it was it's like I thought it was normal, like I thought everybody did that, you know. So I I think that's a part of me that probably led to my addiction at an early age, just because I just thought it was. A, you know, a normal thing. Everybody's having a good time. Da 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 da. Um, there are times that it didn't go very well, but you know, it, it didn't really at the time bothered me on that one because, you know, to be honest with you, most of my family are pretty nuts in the head, anyways. Because, like, even my mom and my uncles, you know, they had a pretty rough life, really rough life growing up. So it's like. Chaos and mayhem was like instilled in me whenever I was a young kid because it was constantly like that. So that was that was your normal. So yeah. 
like everybody had that normal life of mom was there and cooked for them and you know oh how are you doing here let me help you with your homework blah 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 and then mine was like you son of a bitch da, 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 throwing stuff and yeah. beer bottles everywhere and oilies and whatnot and it was so like what was the so at what age was the first time you picked up something and used or drank I would say the first time that I actually did use was with my mom. Um, I want to say about 10, 11 years old. Oh, wow. My mom got me high of wow. uh, some marijuana. Because I was curious about it. Because I kept picking them up all the time. And my, Pick- well, my mom's like, I'll get you high. So we, we ended up smoking a joint. And that was like the very first time I ever got high. What was it like the first time? Did you was it you enjoy it? Did it make I didn't, I don't really. I don't think I particularly remember if I enjoyed it or not. But I know I, I'm not a very big weed smoker, anyways, because it's I'm naturally that that type of person that's really laid back and calm. Well, I don't know about calm, but like I, I'm a slow moving person. So even at a young age, I was like that as well. And uh, which pretty much led me my stimulus drugs. That was like my my drug of choice. Anything that'll hype me up and get me going was the drug that I rather took. So when I was introduced to cocaine at like 12, that was like the ideal thing for me. Because coke got me up and going like crazy, so. So, during during this time, or something, I think. Say that one more time. I apologize. Uh, which, yeah, about twelve years old, I was uh one of my mom's boyfriends. He was a really cool guy. Um, he did a lot of cocaine and stuff, and he had it there, and I was curious about you know I seen a lot of people snorting, and I seen a lot of people cooking it up, making crack and stuff out of it. And uh, I asked him about it, and he's like, here, take a bump. So I ended up taking a bump, and it was like, I remember that first time that I took it, even to this day, that it, 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 I had such a rush feeling, like I, I was able to take on the world. Yep. You know? And that's, I think, when that triggered the addiction in me because it's like after I got it an hour later I was like oh I started wearing down on them I was like I want more so real quick were you going to school this entire time because you said you're 10 and 12 years old when you're trying marijuana and then cocaine were you going yeah. to school at this time yes did you go to school high at any point oh yeah oh yeah yeah nobody noticed well I mean I'm pretty sure they did but I also went to school with bruises and stuff all over me, and they didn't really oh. do anything. So <laughs> that's no good. <laughs> that, that 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 stuff wouldn't fly nowadays. I guess back in the day, it was different. Well, see, I was in uh, LD, which is learning disability. Um, I had a problem with my English, but I think a lot of it was is that my behavior, because you know, I just. I acted out all the time. I was always fighting. I was always doing something. So me coming in all strung out or 
or being in that violent stage, it was like, you know, I don't think they really noticed it a whole lot. And I never said anything because even, you know, even as a kid, I was one of those that was kind of instilled, like, don't snitch. You know, I knew the whole snitching process before I even went to the third grade. (laughs) That's so. So, you know, I I always made some kind of crazy excuse up or whatever. And I'm sure, or you tell me, I don't want to be sure about anything. That stuff sticks with you still? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I still don't say anything, even at work, if somebody's using or or nothing about it. I'm just kind of like, whatever, it's not my life. I don't, I'm not worried about it. And I catch myself all the time doing that. It's like, uh, which I kind of wish it, it's good, but then because it saves me a lot of drama that I have to deal with, but sometimes it was bad because we had some guy got a bad accident at work or in Rivian and he was using and uh, I knew something was going to happen, but instead of saying anything, I didn't because I had that, I'm not going to snitch. And uh, he ended up hurting himself really bad. So Learned a lesson there. Yeah, it's it's good and it's bad because, you know, like in the same process, I, I don't really want to get into the drama, but, you know, live and let learn, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So you used weed at the t- age of 10 and then you did marijuana at 12 and you did this stuff with your mom and then one oh, of her boyfriends. I did the cocaine at the age of 12. Yeah, cocaine at the age of 12. Um, tell me a little bit when it starts rolling into like your teenage years. What Did your use pick up? Did anything change as you got older? Yeah, um, <clears throat> and, well, like, you know, when I talked to you before, I ended up uh, being uh, diagnosed with... Uh, so you treat can't bone marrow cancer. And uh you know, it was it was a horrible feeling. I still remember that too. But they uh introduced me to stuff like morphine and percocets and vicodins. And uh that's where I think a lot that the pills is, was like the main thing that I took for the longest time. Because they kept giving me, even after a readmission and everything, they kept giving me the pills until I was like 30-something years old. So I had always had Percocets and Vicodins, and I would pop those things like candy. So like, what age did you start getting, because you said you took them until you were 30. What age did you first get prescribed them? Uh, about the age of 14. So wow, that's 16 years of popping pills like candy. Yes. Definitely. So, and it was, it was one of those things, too, that, you know, because I have to, even after the whole cancer or whatever, I was a, pretty much around a bunch of people at school and then found out, especially from the jocks, <laughs> that they loved those as well. So I was able to sell them pills all the time, too. Make some money. Yeah, I would. I would sell enough to cover my prescription and make profit on the side. Because I think at the age, by the time I was sixteen, I started drinking. 
So I would sell enough pills to be able to give me my alcohol. And then I'd be popping pills and drinking. So, like, the alcohol was is, like, my main thing even now because, like, I was able to put away a lot of the stuff, but the alcohol was never able to put away. Because the alcohol was, like, kind of the same thing to me as the cocaine. I was, like, I had that feeling that I didn't want to go away. I was, like, man, I love this feeling. And it made it even better because if I drank enough, I don't remember nothing. You know, I get blackout drunk. Yeah, it's an absolute symptom of an alcoholic is we, for pretty much all of us, we just yeah. drink until we pass out somewhere. And I think that's what a lot of my issues was is because of everything that was going on around me and all the abuse and whatnot. It was like, you know, I, I didn't remember day by day. And when I got so drunk and don't remember nothing, it was like, I was good with that. I mean, I was used to waking up feeling like shit anyways, all bruised up and barely able to move. So waking up with a hangover, it was like, whatever. Because at the time, I was like, I, I, which I suffered from uh, migraine headaches, even at an early age. So waking up with a hangover headache was about pretty much the same thing waking up with a regular headache or a migraine so it, it was it wasn't out of the norm for me to feel that way except for my stomach feeling like shit but then after a while for some reason the beer was used as like a pet bismol <laughs> it would just go in my stomach and i was good to go after that so i think by the time i was at 23, 24, I was uh, up to the part where I was drinking in the morning. Wow. Because I was about to say, how did this, um, because it sounds like you made it through school with all this, how did it affect your life? I mean, what was going on? Like you just said, you were drinking until you black out and stuff. And, you know, when all this happened when you were 23 or 24, what is going on then like is there anything like were you having bad relationships did you have problems with your parents or anything like that as far as because of your drinking anything related to that specifically or specifically you're popping too many pills as like you said like candy actually like uh by the time i was 16 i ended up moving to kentucky with my parent my dad um, I got in trouble with the law and, uh, I don't know if it was like one of those cry for help things or something, but I ended up stealing out of a cop car's wife's car. <laughs> oh God. And I stole out a teacher's purse, like over $500, which at the time I didn't even need the money. I just did it just to do it. So I'm not sure if it was like a cry for help or something because I didn't want to live at the parents because like you know like I was telling you then being my uh, stepdad always fist fighting at an early age so it was a constant battle between us and uh, it, it's so bad with my stepdad I can't I still can't look into his face and just be like oh want to talk to him and stuff so it's it's I don't know it's like I I'm still trying to learn how to deal with that grudge thing but 
I ended up moving to Kentucky with my dad, and my dad's number one rule was, you drink in front of me, don't drink behind my back. That was the worst mistake you can get to any addict. <laughs> yeah, I, I was about to say, that's like a, that's like a, it's like a blank check for us. Yeah. But as far as relationship-wise goes, it was pretty good. Enough. I mean, we were young, so it was kind of like, Oh yeah, you're my girlfriend. Da 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 da. And then I have another girlfriend. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and I was one of those guys. I had alcohol or some kind of drug all the time. So you know, I hung out with the older kids. You really so I had a lot, a lot of different relationships because you know I was I was the one that had drugs and stuff all the time. So. Yeah, I remember that. Vince comes to the party, sweet, and then I hook up with some random girl, or whatever. And it was it was good to go. Um, my real relationship didn't start until I met, uh, Kayla was, I, I would have to say would be my first actual real relationship. What age was this? Um, at like 18, 19. Okay. So you were still fairly young. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, of course she was the high school sweetheart, you know, how long did you guys stay? How long did you guys stay together? Uh, about seven years. Wow. Well, like you said, high school sweetheart, that's a long time. Yeah. And uh, we ended up getting together and ended up getting a kid. Um, you, I did not, what not. You said... You, you said I, I, I wasn't really bad on drinking then. I still had... I still had to have the uh, my scotch when I got off of work. Had a couple beers when I woke up, you know, just so I can get going. But I didn't really necessarily get drunk. It was one of those where it was like, I didn't even think about it at the time, but I had to have it in my system. You were just, I mean, so if you had to have a few beers in the morning, you were just maintaining. Yeah, I was just kind of prolonging the inevitable, whatever. Inevitable. Yeah, there you go. Sorry, can't talk. I just woke up. (laughs) (laughs) Got you bright and early. Yeah, yep, yep. And, uh, you know, uh, I think a lot of it didn't really hit me until Alina was born. And that's kind of like where I just was like, oh, my God, what am I doing here? You know, I, I took care of my brother. Mm-hmm. I took care of my sister. That was easy. But then I had one of my own. And, like, all those thoughts of everything that happened to me when I was a kid got into me like am I going to turn into my dad am I going to turn into my mom and I was just freaking out all the time over it because you know now I have my own responsibility yeah that's that that is a huge thing I um I've said this before but one of the things is we definitely need to do this for ourselves when we get sober but it's okay to have some motivating factors that really, you know what I mean? That kind of get you to get your ass up and get going. Yeah. So at what age did you have your child? Uh, 21. 21. So, but unfortunately you were still popping pills until she was nine at least because you said at 30, it's about when you stopped getting, when, is that when you first got sober? No, um, Age of like thirty, thirty-one, I was still drinking like a fish then. But you weren't getting the pills anymore. No, they they totally cut me off. Was it because they knew you had an addiction problem? 
Well, yeah, I've definitely had the addiction problem. I was able to take a buttload of them without no, no problem. But it, I end up ODing all the time. And uh, I don't know. I think my body was just trying to find a way to not do it anymore because I got out of the hospital and waited a couple of days and then I'm popping just one Percocet and I end up ODing again. I don't know if my body just had was sick of or just telling me, tell me enough is enough or... But when the third time after I OD'd off of it, they kind of looked at my track record and how long I'd be getting the pills. And they were just like, wait a minute, why are you still getting pills for this? But you haven't had it in like over 15, 16 years. Hmm. Well, and the only answer I could give them was, oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, but there's really not, not much you can say to that. Well, not mine, shoot. <laughs> for an addict, we don't have many uh, many real answers for that. <laughs> right. And so they, they took me took them off of me, which was really bad because they didn't try to give me anything to kind of cope with it or nothing. They just totally took it away. So the, you, did you go through any type of, well, I guess, that you went through withdrawal. Oh God, yeah. They didn't. That's that's um. That's weird. I know. Because they be- even took me off my benzoids too. At the same process, they did the same what? thing with the benzoids. They just totally cut me off. Wow. So it was like even me drinking like a fish without having those, it was still sick all the time and everything. And so I was forced to go out in the streets and buy it. And so, I I, I guess I was good after a while. Of not taking them, but I don't know. It was it was such a weird thing because I, I when I went to rehab or whatever, I seen other people that were the same way with the opiate pills and Vicodins and all that. They were giving like stuff to help them ease the cravings or the you know the withdrawals like Suboxone and I can't remember the other one. But what age was, did you go to rehab? I went to rehab. Thirty, thirty-five, thirty-six. What yeah. month? August, actually. August, August six is when I went to rehab, because that's my first clean date, actually. Yeah. So my clean day is on August, August sixth. That August sixth of what year is the first time you ever got sober? Yeah. Of this year. No, no, no. That was three years ago. Oh, three years ago. That That's what I'm asking when. Oh, okay. Uh, 21, 20, 19. See, I got my DUI February 2016. Uh, August 6th of 18, I think. All right. Yeah, it's great. That's great for three years. Um, I can't wait to get to that point and keep going. So, because yeah, even after I got my DUI, I still remained drinking and stuff because I was on probation. So, when you were drinking and stuff, were you, did this affect your job? Um, it affected like my fast food jobs and stuff. But when I got my job at Caterpillar, I worked third shift. 
So I wasn't really around any big bosses. And most of the people I knew even there on third shift were pretty, pretty bad alcoholics to themselves. So it was kind of like that was the ship where all the trunks went, I think. <laughs> wow. So everyone, were, you, were you guys drinking on the job? I was drinking on the job. I, w- I used to have those little uh, airplane bottles with me in my lunchbox. That's and right. I would put some, put some in my coffee. Um, I'm not really sure about anybody else because, like, I, I – was on the forklift so i was pretty much isolated from around anybody so they wouldn't smell my breath or nothing like that i just pick up the shipment and take it to the warehouse um i think one of my one of my other friends did drink not as much as i did on the job but he usually was one of those that had to have some before he came in the work gotcha so I wouldn't even say it was really me being drunk. I just had to have it in my system throughout the day. I was lucky um, because I, unfortunately for me, as an addict, I had to deal with customers all day face-to-face, and I had to drive cars around all day at my job. Um, So I couldn't drink. So that was the only thing. But the second I got off, I was taking a few shots like you were doing out of airplane bottles. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, when I got off of work, it was it was party on. It was full drink, a case less than an hour, and hitting a bottle. <laughs> yeah. But definitely got trashed whenever I got off of work. So. So what is your life like now? You said you went to rehab for the first time about three years ago. You guys are sober now. Or I apologize, yeah. you're sober now. Um How's your guy's life between you, your daughter, any relationships like that? Well, actually, didn't actually let me finish the story on that part, but I ended up losing Alina when she was five. Her and Kayla got in a bad car accident and uh, passed away. Oh, I apologize. for I didn't realize I cut you off there. Oh, hey, you're fine. It's one of those things where... I still remember, but sometimes I kind of wish I did. So they both passed away? Yeah. And then it was like a big, huge gap in between there until like I was 27, where I don't really remember a whole lot because I was on a, such a bad drinking binge. And uh, PCP, I do remember doing PCP. It was to the point where I think it was my grandparents. I had to come pick me up all the way from California because uh, they kept arresting me for loitering and stuff like that. And I was always drunk, digging out of trash cans and whatnot, living on the beach. Uh, So that's when I got off of those drugs because my... my grandma and grandpa lived in Kentucky, but they lived out in Bonfalk, Egypt. So I wasn't able to get any drugs, no communication with anybody. So I went through withdrawals of PCP out there. So, but my grandpa was an alcoholic too. So he always was like, you might as well just drink. So I still got drunk. I just didn't get high anymore after that. Well, wow, it's quite a story. That's quite. And that's quite a struggle you've been through. A lot of people, you know, they've been through the same thing, but a lot of people haven't made it yet, you know? A lot of people 
are continuing to use and destroy their lives. Oh, I, I, I definitely destroyed my life. And I even tried to end my life a few times, even through those addictions. Like, I slit my wrists. Um, there's one time I actually got a hold of a shitload of pills and took them all at once because I knew that my body wouldn't be able to handle it. So I tried to OD myself. Uh, you know, I, it was that part of insanity that kicked in where I was tired. I was done. I didn't want to struggle anymore. I didn't want to live the way I was living. But for some reason, it's when I got help, which is weird, I had that cry for help and I wanted help, but then when I got the help, I always like, oh no, nothing was wrong with me. I didn't know I was going to OD. I, I take it, stuff like that all the time. So, I, I had that cry for help, but then whenever the help came, it was like, oh, no, I'm good. You know, I always ran. I was like my father. I, I ran away from it. It's like I, I didn't want to embrace it. I knew why. I just wanted to stay in this old life. That, uh, instead of having the help, I just wanted to stay in the old life that I was trying desperately to get out of. I think then after I slid my wrist was the first um, cry for help that I think I officially did. But I, instead of trying to get help, I, I just denied the help and went back to doing what I was doing. So. So, yeah, it sounds like, like an endless cycle of crying for help. And then when someone tries to, like you said, you just deny him that. And how, how long do these uh, attempts go on for? Actually, a very long time. Uh, which I got my DUI over in Pontiac, which that's where I was living at the time. And, uh, you know, I, I got, I had to go do a jail, whatnot, da, 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 all that good stuff. But, um, you know, I got out and things were going to be different for me. I was like, you know what, I'm not going to go back to drinking. I'm not. Or at least I'm going to drink, but I'm not going to drink like I used to. I need to change my life over. And I, it was so stupid. I remember meeting my probation officer for the first time. And I, he's like, you can't do drugs. And I'm like, check, I'm good with that, you know. And he's like, can't drink or go to bars. And I'm like, ooh. And I straight looked right dead in his eyes like, you might as well stick me back in jail because there ain't no way in the world I'm going to quit drinking. And he just looked at me all funny, and I'm like, I'm serious. I'm not doing it. So I had to go, go to um, IHR, which is a human resources building. They did the alcohol classes, and I had to talk to caseworkers all the time about my drinking and stuff. <clears throat> and, of course, I told him I wasn't drinking anything like that because, you know, I was doing my DUI classes. But then... And I was doing pretty good on not drinking. I, I only drank at nighttime, um, like, and I did drink a couple times in the morning. But for the most part, I was doing pretty good on the whole, not drinking as much as I used to. Um, and then just right out of blue, I stopped going to my DUI classes, and I just started drinking heavily again. Um, I got tired of feeling like shit in the morning and had the shakes and just, I couldn't talk, I couldn't function. And, uh, you know, that's when my drinking got bad again because I was like, I can't do this. So I started drinking and drinking and drinking again. I think a lot of 
that part with me quit drinking and stuff was, you know, for the cry of help I was talking about that I was doing it. I was crying for help, but I didn't want to help. It wasn't until I actually asked for help is when I finally got help. When I just finally, and I remember that day because I kind of looked in the mirror and I didn't recognize who I was. And I looked around and I had a, I had a trailer of my own, but I had like hardly any furniture. And it was like, it was, it was pretty bad. And I just kind of like, I lost my job at Caterpillar too, because I got a forklift accident. And of course they drug tested me and of course, naturally I had alcohol in my system. So, you know, I just kind of looked around and I was on my four day drinking binge and I finally was like, I need some help really bad. I don't know what to do. And I finally went to IHR. I told IHR what was going on. I told my probation officer what was going on. And my probation officer, instead of being like the normal probation officer, like, are you going to jail? Da, 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 da. He actually gave me an option. He told me that I can go back to jail for 30 days or I go to rehab. And which is so weird because a lot of people would have took the jail time because he told me if I did the 30 days in jail, I'd be off probation altogether. And I still have like a year and a half left of probation. So to normal people, that'd be a pretty sick deal, you know? And I was thinking about going through the jail time because I'm like, well, if I go there, that'd be 30 days without alcohol, you know, I'll be good, clean and clear. But then my probation officer spoke up. He's like, I suggest the rehab thing because to be honest with you, how long is it going to take for you to not get in trouble again and be right back, right back in my office? He's like, you wanted help. I'm giving you the option to get help. So I was like, you know what? I never did really actually officially stop drinking or doing drugs. So, you know, what, what can hurt? You know, and that's when I went to uh, test up over in Bloomington. That's and, a, is uh, that a rehab center? Yes. Okay. Uh, that's the, actually, when I was there, was the first time I ever went to an AA meeting. And uh, I heard everybody's sob story, and I was like, oh, my God, Jesus, a bunch of whiners, da 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 I don't know how any of this stuff ever helps anybody. It wasn't until I went to, I think, my third AA meeting there is when some guy shared his story, and his story was just like mine. And I think that's the problem with a lot of people and that went to AA and always relapsed and stuff is because they, they want to get sober, but they don't know how to get sober because, you know, it's their life. They're like, nobody, under, I mean, all these people understand what it's like being an alcoholic, but nobody really truly understands me. But when that guy spoke, it was like, it's like I envisioned myself up there telling a story and I think that's when it finally hit me like oh my god I really am an alcoholic I really can't go back to drinking even after this 
you know, that's that's pretty much when I was like, yeah, I think I I I, I need to stop drinking. And uh, I didn't really know how to do that because I, I felt that if I went back to Pontiac, I'll go back to doing what I was doing. So when I was in rehab, I had met this friend, James, which everybody called him Jimmy. He was going to this program called the CRC, which is a continuing recovery program. It's like a two-year program. Okay. And uh, it was really, really far from anybody that I knew. And I'm like, with my counselors talking to me about it, like, okay, so she set up for me to have the interview with this uh, that counselor named George. So when I got out of rehab, which even my counselor helped me get in the home sweet home, which is a homeless shelter, so I wouldn't have to go back to Pontiac. And, you know, I still had to go to meetings and whatnot. I had the interview with George. And, uh, you know, I didn't hear anything for a while, actually, after that. And it got really to the point where I was going to buy, about to start using and drinking again. I, I actually was on my way to the liquor store to go buy some alcohol. And that's when I got a call from George from the CRC. Let me know that I was accepted and if I still wanted to come. So it's like right then and there. I kind of, I believed in a higher power. I just didn't know what to believe in, like Jesus or God or anything like that. But right then and there, it was kind of like that clue that somebody out there is trying to help me. So I end up uh, asking one of my friends, because like, you know, of course, my mom wouldn't take by my sister or anybody else, because at the time I did family pretty dirty because of my addiction. <clears throat> but my friend, only having $20 in gas, drove all the way to Bloomington and drove me all the way to Irving, Illinois, like two hours away. Wow. Just to take mm -hmm. me there because she was one of those ones that wanted me to get the help because I lived with them on and off for a while. And uh, she definitely was like, you need this program. You need to get your life in order. That's amazing, a two-year program. That's, that's, yeah. a, that's a, once you go through that, that's a big, big accomplishment. Definitely. And, you know, like, that AA meeting that I went to that I heard the guy speak and the CRC, like, in my opinion, it saved my life. Because when I went to CRC, not only did I have to be sober, but I had to deal with a bunch of other addicts there. So it was like weird to have all these addicts leave them alone in a big old schoolhouse. That's what it was. It was an old uh, schoolhouse. <laughs> so it was like, oh my God, personalities jump back and forth a lot. <laughs> yeah. But I met my sponsor, Ben, there. Uh, which is easy for me to remember because my name was Ben anyway. So. Easy enough. Yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, that I would have to say that would be my very first real friend out of the, when I got out of addiction. Yeah, it's he, amazing. To this day, we still talk, and he was my sponsor. That's amazing. I, 
I even live with him after the CRC. We still keep in contact and everything. And it was like, you know, I would have to say that's my real friend from there. I owe, I owe a lot to him because he helped me out through my journey. Yeah, so it sounds like you finally got the help and support you needed. So what is your, I mean, what's your life like now? What are the things going on now for you? How, how do you keep sober? What's your, what's your structure uh-huh. like? How do I keep myself sober, which is so weird, is, is I don't go to that much AA meetings anymore like I should, but I actually sponsor. So I I, I have a sponsee of myself, and he's doing pretty good. But I think that's what really, because there for a while I was kind of down in the dumps about, because I still kind of struggling with the jobs, like what do I want to do? I can't do this, this, that. But whenever I started sponsoring somebody is when it really, really changed. Like, I, I don't want to drink at all, even before then. I just did not know what I was going to do with my life. You know, it was that big gap for the first time that I had to actually think about what I was, think about my future. When before, it was kind of like, oh, I'm just going to be good to drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's true what they say, like, you you know, you, you pretty much your age is, is when you started using. And I'm like, well, shit, I was raised around al- alcoholics and addicts all my life. Like, I don't know what to do because that it literally was a normal thing for me to do. So this is like the first time in my life where I don't have any alcohol, any drugs in, around. Like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And I'm still kind of struggling with that whole I don't know what I'm going to do, but I am happy though. Cause I met, met a woman. We've been together. Actually, we just passed a year. Congratulations. We got our own place and everything. And she, uh, she was in the same boat as I was. She was born around the addiction and whatnot, but she was one of those ones that didn't use. So in order, if so for me keeping sober, it's actually pretty easy because I have her in my life to help me out with mine as well. So, and that's an amazing gift in itself. Yeah. So I like I if I count all the bell blessings I have, this it was the most blessing that I ever had because I don't know where I would be if I was still using if I didn't go to rehab if I didn't have the probation officer to get me to go to rehab. I didn't go to CRC and met some of the greatest people I ever meet in, in recovery over there. And that I still talk to to this day that are really good friends. And then meet her. I don't, I never would have expected any of that. You know, um, I still struggle from time to time with the addiction. I was like, I was talking to you about the cravings or whatever. Um, I don't really necessarily think it's cravings. I think it's just like my old mind because it's so used to being in that norm that sometimes I kind of think about it like, oh, you know, <clears throat> it'll be all right. Just have a drink. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, a craving to me, it was like, it, it's like I can, my mouth starts watering and I got that itchy feeling, <clears throat> you know, almost like I can even taste it, but I don't have any of that. Like, my first year, yeah. 
But like after another year, and then now my third year, I don't have that craving like that. I just have the thought, you know. Yeah, I, I can understand. Like, I have just had that thought, like, oh man, I could use a drink right now. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. It hasn't happened to me yet, but I, I can, I can appreciate that. Yeah, which I have my little slogans like "I'm good today, but I can be great tomorrow." That helps me out in the mornings. Well, I was just about to ask you, you know, if there's anything else you want to add before we go, if there's any advice you would want to give our listeners or anything like that. So, yeah, that was great what you just said. Please continue. Um, I would say to all the people that were listening, just keep doing it. You know, your life was shit before, but it does get better. It's rough, but it does get better. If you actually, which a lot of people think if you work the 12 steps, you're just there to get sober. It's not only that you're trying to keep yourself away from the alcohol, you have to completely change who you are in order to be able to to stay sober. You got to break that habit of yourself and create a new, better version of yourself. And to me, that's what helped me out my process because it was such a big part of my life that that's who I was. So when I got sober, I had to completely change the person who I was and create a new, brighter version of myself. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but I mean, that's how I got with the whole 12 steps. I think it'll definitely make sense to some people. That's why we do this. And that's why we tell our stories. And definitely whenever you get to the part, sponsor somebody. Because not only does that help that sponsor and it gets that good feeling that you help somebody. But it also helps, it helps you and it helps that person out. Exactly. And that's always a good thing because... The 12th step, very important. It's a big thing in keeping us sober. So, thanks for listening. We want to thank Ben. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad to uh, be a service. Yes, that's awesome of you. So, if you like what you hear, rate us on iTunes. Come join our Facebook group, Addicts Anonymous. We do Zoom meetings a few nights a week and on the weekends. And that's about all. So, until next time.